1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Y'all ready to rumble? Here we go. It says this. For we are God's fellow workers. Somebody say, I work with God. Oh. Say it again. Say, I work with God. Can we talk about uprooting lies? This is going to be Freedom Sunday. I don't even know how we got here. I don't work for God. I work with God. The mindset that I work for God is the lie that God is this unreasonable, austere master that has expectations of me that are impossible for me to accomplish. God says, no, 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 we're building this kingdom. He said, if we are God's fellow workers, we are God's field, we are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Somebody say, laid the foundation. And another builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. As a senior pastor of Union Church, I have the privilege of building on the foundation that Pastor Ron laid, that Bishop Rollins laid, that Pastor Jimmy and Irene laid, and now me and my beautiful wife, we get to build upon, not, not starting something brand new, not coming out of, hey, this is original. No, we're just taking our leg of the relay and building according to the word of God. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be complete clear for the day. Somebody say the day. That's not a day. That's the day. That is judgment day. I'm preaching already. So there's going to be a day where God holds you accountable for the wealth that you built here on earth. Were you a good steward of your finances? Did you maximize what I gave you? Or did you blow it all on credit cards? I, I, I ain't know he's going to ask me that. There's going to be a day where he holds you accountable for what type of parent you are. Did you just put roof over their head and clothes on their back? Or did you put virtue and integrity in the word of God and speak life and destiny in them? He said, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet as though through fire. This is a teaching Sunday. So he says it's not a salvation issue. Your credit score is missing a few digits. You'll still make it into heaven. Nervous laugh. <laughs> if you didn't maximize every relationship, you'll, you'll still make it into heaven because salvation is based on accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Somebody say amen. But it says you will suffer loss for some things that you didn't build according to God's plan. It says, do you not know that you are the temple of God 
and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Holy Spirit, we're grateful that you are in this place to make your word relevant. God, you said that your word is a double-edged sword, God, dividing both soul and spirit, bone and marrow. God, we pray that you would give us revelation, and God, that you would give us wisdom, that we can build our lives into the temple, into the house of God that you have called us to be. God, we are grateful, we're thankful. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Somebody in this room shout amen. Come on, BWI, can you shout amen and amen? I, um, I come from a long line of builders, which I, uh, I knew of and I'm discovering even more so that Chandler men, just as far back as I can remember, just were builders. My grandfather uh, was actually a carpenter. He made furniture, he made cabinets, all this other kind of stuff. That was his vocation. My dad told me stories of how Christmas he would be booked literally months and months out because everybody wanted a new dining table or coffee table or cabinets or whatever it may be. And he wouldn't like just go down to the store and assemble things and give it to people. But I'm talking like the type of carpenter that would carve and etch and, and, and put emblems and different things like that. He was a master carpenter. He passed that trait on to his sons and all of the Chandler sons, my uncles, all, whether they are in carpentry or anything like that, they are just, they're, they're architects. They're great with their hands. They're, they're builders. I actually have an uncle who was an architect who built entire hospitals in the Caribbean and in Canada. I have aunts that are in real estate and building and all that other good stuff. Now, my father was not a carpenter by trade. He was a carpenter by birth. So everything in our house, you see, my dad would build by himself. My mom would get stressed out about it because she said, hey, uh, you may not be as good as your dad. You may not be as good as your brothers. Why don't we just pay somebody else to do it? He's like, why would I pay somebody to build something that I can build myself? So the deck on the back of the house, nobody built that for us. Me and my brothers and my dad, we built that ourselves. The shed out back, it came on a flatbed in a million pieces. And guess what my summer project was? I didn't get to go to soccer camp. I didn't get to go play with my friends. This summer, we're going to build a shed out back. I hated that shed. Because my grandfather was a carpenter and my father had that skill, he felt that in order to be a Chandler man, you have to be able to be a builder. You have to be able to work with your hands. You're not a man if you don't know how to drive a nail straight and all that other kind of stuff. So he just took it upon himself to instill this carpentry in me. Now, you ever heard the phrase that certain gifts, talents, and abilities have been known to skip a generation. So when it came to the roller derby and we had to make the little wooden car, my dad made it and I read books and hung out and waited until he was done. By the way, I won that race because my dad loaded that car up with weights under it. Don't worry about it. It was a different story for a different day. But it got to the point, I was about 16 years old and my dad was just fed up. He said, I'm tired of you sitting on the sideline while all your brothers are building and I'm gonna teach you how to build. This summer we're building the deck. And I went out there and I didn't really do much. I kind of just held the post even as he poured the cement in and I passed him a nail and passed him a hammer and passed him different things. And he said, no, 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 you're not a Chandler yet. You have to know how to build. 
So I'm going to hold the nail. You already see this man is a man of the word, but not really that bright. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> and he said, I need you to drive this nail in. I said, Dad, are you sure? Now, if he tells this story, it's going to sound a little different. He's like, he hit me on purpose. <laughs> He's holding that nail, and I'm just... He's like, hit the nail, boy. <laughs> you don't hit this. Whoa! Uh, purple, green, fingernail fell off, and went to the ER. Long story short, he decided that he was going to allow that gift and talent and ability to skip this generation. So every time my wife needs something built in the house, she calls somebody that is not me, and it gets done safely. But here's what I discovered. Being a builder is something that just runs in my family prophetically. But it's not buildings that I build. It's not wood. It's not structure. What God has gifted me to build are people. Paul said this. He said, God has graced me to be a master builder. And I've discovered that same grace on my life where God has given me a supernatural wisdom, a supernatural ability, literally to build people's lives according to the word of God. If I had time to tell you, back when I was 16 years old working at Foot Locker, and my 30-something-year-old manager was bringing her life issues to me, saying, Stephen, what do I do here? What do you do here? What do you do here? And I wasn't even bright enough to know at 16, I shouldn't know all that stuff. And I said, well, here's what God's word says, and here's what you need to do here. And well, the Bible says that bad company corrupts good character. So if you keep on hanging out with those people, that's where your life is gonna go. And even from that age, that's the thing when God's graced you, it's not something that you learned from somewhere. It's not something that you studied. It's not something that you picked up. It simply is the grace of God on your life. So now we've brought two churches together, Destiny Church and I-5 City Church. We are now Union Church. And the question is, come on, give a shot for Union Church. That's not a bad thing at all. The question is, what is this church going to be about? What is the future going to be about? Some of you may be a little bit apprehensive because, like, man, I know what Destiny was and I love Destiny. Or I know what I-5 City was and I loved I-5. But what is union going to be? What does the future look like over these next five weeks? We are going to unpack. Here is what we are building here at Union Church. When it comes to church, if I could just be a little bit bold, and I will be, there's a little bit of confusion of what church is and what the purpose of church is. For many people, church, if I could say it just bluntly, is nothing more than a cultural experience. Church is a place that makes me feel good. Church is a place that instills hope in my life. Church is a place that I can go forget about my problems and at least for 75, okay, the preacher preaches long, 85 minutes, I can escape all the drama going on in my life and then after this, I'll have enough hope to go deal with that foolishness again. However, I want church in the way that I like it. 
You know what the problem with that is? For every single person, there's a different way that they like it. So for one person, they say, hey, I want to sing 15 songs for three hours. I don't need no message. For somebody else, they're just like, when are you going to finish this singing so we can get to the word? Because we need the word, line upon line, precept upon precept. Preach the word. I don't even know why you tell all these funny stories. I don't need to hear no stories. If I want to hear a story, I read a book. I need the word. Some people are like, I don't need to sing. I don't need a word. I want to shout. You can tell I didn't grow up in a shouting church because I have no idea what I'm doing. This is going to be the shadiest message you have ever heard in your life, BWI. Y'all with me? You know how many people have come up to me, Pastor? You, you kind of young. I know, right? I mean, this wasn't really my church. I came here because my daughter came here. Or my son came here. After coming for a while, you young, but... But you preached the word. You, you got something going on there. Because we judge church based on our life experiences instead of what the word of God says church should be. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. So there's a lot of African-Americans, black folks in the church, that means if I'm white, I won't feel comfortable because culture tells me that's not where I'm allowed to go to church. Come on now. If there's a lot of young people and I find myself of an older generation, then that's not my church because I won't feel comfortable because that's what culture tells me church is. Church is not a cultural experience. Church is not a place to go get a spiritual high. Church is not an escape to get away from the drama of your life only to go back to it. Church is the place that God designed to build your life up, the temple of the Holy Spirit in every single area. And hear me, if what happens in an hour and 75 minutes in a service doesn't affect Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, then you did not have church. All you did was escape a reality that you will have to go back to. We're not here trying to figure out, hey, how's it going to go? What's going to happen this Sunday? No, there's blueprints to what we're building. There are, are drawings to what we're building. There's permits to what we're building. God has given us specific instructions on how to build a godly marriage and godly kids and godly finances and how to build our faith. We are building something here. He said we are God's building. Church is not a natural edifice of cement and bricks and steel. Church is the redeemed of the Lord, united together, walking in a peace and a hope and a freedom that demands the world's attention. Let's people say, hold on, how did you get through a pandemic and not lose your mind? How did you be locked in a house for 18 months with your family and you're not contemplating divorce and you don't want to put your kids on Craigslist? What in the world did you have going on in that house? How have you come out of that with more joy, with more vision, with more purpose? 
I'm almost out of time. We haven't even hit point number one. When God was bringing those 10 plagues on the nation of Egypt to, to let them know that he was God and he struck their God raw and took all of the light, there was light in Goshen where the people of God were. And it was evident that there was something on their life that the rest of the nation did not have. Because when I looked over here, I saw darkness. And when I looked over here, I saw light. Listen to me. That's a prophetic picture of what the church should be. People should be able to look at our lives and see light in the midst of darkness. They should see hope in the midst of hopelessness. They should see prosperity even though the economy is tanking. They should see vision even though people are blind and don't know where they're going. God has called us to be a beacon of light. At Union Church, we build lives. So I'm going to give you just three quick things, three quick things of how are we going to build, what are we going to build, what is this church going to, if I call this my church, if I say you're my pastor, what does that mean for my life? I'm going to give you the cliff notes today. Is that okay? And then we're going to unpack these in more details over the next few weeks. The first thing is this, church should lead you to a deep foundation. The first thing that church should do is church should lead you to a deep foundation in Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says this, Now, therefore, we are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Watch this. Having been built on the foundation." Of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows in a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built, somebody say together. That's another quick point that I don't have time to preach. You don't get to be built by yourself. God is not building a person. God is building his church. And when you decide to isolate yourself from God's church, you will never maximize all that God has for you. It's the church that he is the head of. He said, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. The house that I grew up in as a kid, I actually had the opportunity to watch it built from the ground up. It was literally like this little dirt plot with grass on it and all that other good stuff. And they actually kind of picked everything. And then the house was built literally from the ground up. And my mom would drive us by the property where the house was as we could see the progress going on. We drove by two, three weeks, and it seemed like nothing was going on. All that had happened is they had driven some wooden stakes into the ground and kind of like a rectangle. And then someone had spray painted kind of like this rectangular shape within the stakes. We drive by the next week and not much has happened. They just had added some little twine rope in between the stakes. The next week when we came back, they finally had started doing something. But to my young surprise, they weren't building a house up. They were digging a hole down. And for the next four weeks... Nothing went up. All the attention was on going down. They were excavating space for the foundation to be laid. After they had finished digging out the area for the foundation, then they came with the cement trucks, and they did not pour cement up. They poured the cement down. 
It took them four weeks for that foundation to be laid. Come on, BWI. It was like two weeks for them to throw up all the framing. And the, you ever seen people build a house? And you're like, no wonder them things get blown over every time a storm comes. How do you throw that up so fast? But here's what they know. What goes up doesn't really matter. What matters more is the foundation that is laid. If the foundation is laid properly, then everything that will be built upon it will have a solid foundation and will be able to stand and will be able to last. Here's the problem. When you go shopping for your next house, you don't drive by that house and say, Wow, look at that foundation. <laughs> Baby, do you see that foundation? Do you see how it's even and level? Oh my goodness, do you? Now, you may have an inspector making sure there's no cracks in the foundation, but nobody buys a house that's already built based on how beautiful the foundation is. You're looking for open concept and hardwood floors and granite countertops and, and walk-in closets. You're looking for the amenities. And it's amazing to me how in life all we really focus about are the amenities of life. Are my relationships good? Is my money good? Is my hope good? Is my career good? Is my future good? Not understanding all those amenities are built on a foundation. And if the foundation is off, the amenities will eventually fall over. Here's what Paul said. He said, we're building, but we're building on one person, and that is Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. 2017, me and my wife had the privilege of going to Israel, and we were actually able to stand at the temple that they're talking about, the temple that Solomon built. To this day, architects are still perplexed because the cornerstone, and you could kind of imagine what a cornerstone is, it's the first foundational stone that was built at that time, and all the weight of the entire structure rested on this one stone. To this day, archaeologists and architects are saying, we don't understand how that stone in Solomon's temple got into place because it is thousands and thousands of pounds. And based on everything that we've discovered, there was no machinery at the time that was strong enough to lift that stone and then move it there, not to mention the stone was not there prior. It's not like they just etched it out of a mountain. They don't know where that stone came from. I feel like it's a prophetic picture of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God. God what? God, none your business. Where did he come from? He didn't come from nowhere. He has been here. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. Here's what you need to know. He is the only one worth building your life on. The first and primary purpose of church is to help people establish a foundation on God. Now, here's the problem. None of us were born Christians. Somebody say amen. amen. Just in case you thought you were. You were not. I don't care if your grandma was a deacon. Come on, BWI. I don't care if your uncle's an elder. You are a heathen until you give your life to Jesus. I'm feeling real ornery today. <laughs> so at some point, you surrendered your life to Jesus. But it wasn't the point that you started breathing oxygen here on earth. So you lived years before you met Jesus. Somebody say amen. And in those years that you lived, your life was built on something. For some of us, our life was built on family. 
We have a tight-knit family. We have each other's back. Some of us, our lives were built on our ambition, on our work ethic, on our intelligence, on our education. All of those, the Bible says, are like sinking sand, and they will hold you up until the winds of life blow. I feel like over these last 18 months during this panoramic or whatever we want to call it, the winds blew. And we realized that our lives were not built on something that can last through disappointment and setback. So for so many of us, and here's the purpose of the church, before we can first establish our lives on Jesus, we have to dig up the faulty foundations that our lives were built on and allow Jesus to replace money as the place where my confidence comes from and allow Jesus to replace my degrees as the place where my confidence comes from and allow Jesus to replace the fact that my children Make me proud as the place where my confidence comes from. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Everything else is sinking sand. The second biggest issue with building Jesus is the foundation of our lives. And I'll just say this very boldly. Some of us are arrogant enough to think, Pastor, I've already done that. I've been a Christian for five years. I've been a Christian for 10 years. I've been a Christian for 30 years. I know God. Teach these baby Christians about grace. Teach these baby Christians about forgiveness. Teach these baby Christians about destiny. I know God. If you knew God, you wouldn't say that you know God because you would know that he is omniscient. He is omnipresent. There is no ending to who God is. You can read this book a million times over, and every time you read it, you would discover something new about the God that he served. You would realize that in the book of Genesis, he is the breath of life. In the book of Exodus, Exodus. He's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, he's the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Israel's judge. In Joshua, he's salvation's choice. In Judges, he's Israel's guard. In Ruth, he's the kinsman's redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he is the trusted prophet. In Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. In Ezra, he is the true and faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he is the one that rebuilds walls and he rebuilds lives. In Esther, he's the deliverer for such a time as this. In Job, he is the timeless redeemer. In Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, he is wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's a time and a season. In Song of Solomon, he's our lover's dreams. In Isaiah, he's the prince of peace. In Jeremiah, he is the weeping prophet. In Lamentations, he is the cry of Israel. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel, he's the call from sin. And Daniel, he's the stranger from your fire. And Hosea, he's forever faithful. And Joel, he's the strong arms that carries. In Amos, he's the lion's roar and the thunder's clap. In Obadiah, he's the Lord, our Savior. And Jonah, he's the great missionary. In Micah, he's the promise of peace. In Nahum, he's our strength and shield. In Habakkuk and Zephaniah, he is revival. In Haggai, he restores that which was once lost. In Zechariah, he's the fountain. In Malachi, he is the son of righteousness and rising with healing in his wings. And guess what, y'all? 
That's just who he is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's not just God, he is your Messiah. In Acts, he's a reigning fire from heaven. In Romans, he's a grace of God. In First and Second Corinthians, he's a power of love. In Galatians, he's a freedom from the curse of sin. In Ephesians, he's our glorious treasure. In Philippians, he's a servant's heart. In Colossians, he's God, the Trinity. In First and Second Thessalonians, he's our calling king. In Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he's our mediator and faithful pastor. In Hebrews, he's the everlasting courage. In James, he's the one who heals you when you're sick. In First and Second Peter, he's a faithful shepherd. In John and Jude, he's the lover that comes for his bride. And in Revelation, he's the one that was and is and is to come. He is the beginning and he is the end. That is the God that we serve. There is no limit to who he is. There's no such thing as I know who God is. There's no such thing as I've discovered all that he has to offer. If you really knew God, you would know every moment of your life you could discover more of who he is. And every moment that you discover more of who he is, you discover more of who you are because you were made in the image of that God. You would discover that there's greater freedom and purpose and hope and destiny and impact that he has for my life. The job of the church is to give you a deep foundation to build your life on. Sit down. That's just point number one. The second responsibility of the church is to guide you to victorious living. I, I've, someone them poked me the wrong way, guys. I'm sorry. Can y'all forgive me? Don't forgive me. Don't tell me the church is a cultural experience. Don't tell me the church is irrelevant and unnecessary. The church is the hope of the world. So, after you lay the foundation... Then you start putting up the framing, the roofing, and, and you begin to see them putting in the walls and the drywall, and the house begins to take shape. And as that house begins to take shape, the different floors and the different rooms begin to become divided. Here is one of the biggest misnomers, misconceptions, or confusions about the church. People think the only purpose of the church is to help me know God. And then after I know God, then I go live my life until I come back to know more about God. Here's what the Bible says in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper. That word prosper has become a curse word in the kingdom of God. Because people have used it to be equivalent to the word greed. Not even wealth, greed. So because none of us want to be associated with people who are considered greedy, we have thrown out a word that is in the Bible. Let's just think about that. And we laugh at Peter for denying Jesus in front of a servant girl. But we deny Jesus in front of religious people because we don't want to be associated with people that they scorn. 
God said, I pray that you may prosper. By the way, prosper doesn't mean greed or wealth. That's what, I, I always say this. The problem is not that we don't know our Bible. The problem is that we don't have common sense. Like, just look the word up. You know what the word prosper means? To move forward. That's all it means. It doesn't mean Beamer, Benz, and Bentleys. Even though there's nothing wrong with that. It, do, it doesn't mean I'm balling. It just means I am moving forward. John said, I pray that you would move forward in your religious life. Isn't it amazing how the Bible says what the Bible says, but we read something different? I pray that you would move forward in your holiness. I pray that you would move forward away from things that irritate God. No, no, no. It says all things. So if your marriage is the same today as it was last year, your marriage is not prospering. If your career, watch it, Pastor. Y'all done poked me, so now I'm going to preach. Is the same today as it was last year. You're not prospering because I'm just feeling it. If your health is the same today as it was last year, you are not. Put that verse back up. It says this, beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. What's my soul? My mind, my will, and my emotions. As you think, as you desire, as you feel will be the direction of your entire life. John said this, whatever's going on in your life is what's going on here. Fix here and that'll work out. I just, I just can't find a job to settle at. I go here and I just don't feel fulfilled there. I go here and I got fired from there. I go there and I just can't. It's not the problem. It's not the situation. Come on, BWR, you're going to love me after this. I know I'm a little up in your face, but you're going to be all right. It's not that. It's this. Every friend I find stabs me in the back. It doesn't matter. People just ain't loyal. People just ain't loyal like they used to be. This person stabbed me. That person stabbed me. This person talked about me. This person walked down with my best friend. This person. Oh. And it ain't them. You picked them. You picked all of them. It doesn't matter how we talk about how shady people are. And we let those shady people in our lives. It's not that. It's I could deal with this. The job of the church is to teach you how to move forward in every area of your life. And here's what we've gotten. Because we don't know that Jesus is the foundation, we think it's family or culture. We've made Jesus a room in the house. 
So I go into this room on Sundays and I pray and I, I proceed, I have to pursue God, I read my Bible, I scream in tongues, all that other good stuff. Then I come out of that room, I close that door, and I walk into the room of my marriage. And I walk into the room of raising my kids and my career. No, 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 no. Jesus is not a room. He is the foundation that every room is built upon. Proverbs 24, 3 says this, through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. Somebody say wisdom and understanding. So can I just give it to you in layman's term? Wisdom is the practical. Understanding is the spiritual. Through wisdom a house is built, by understanding it is established. By the knowledge the rooms are what? Come on, BWI, the rooms are with all precious and pleasant riches. I never run any of my illustrations by my wife before I preach because she'll probably say no to all of them. I just deal with the heat when I get home. Not the house that we live in right now, but the house we lived in prior, uh, we, we move a lot. Uh, we had this one room. You may have a room in your house like this. It was our junk room. We didn't intend on it being the junk room. It's just when we moved into the house, we had a bunch of junk that we should have trashed, and we didn't trash it. We just brought it with us. So after we had unpacked the entire house, we still had four or five boxes that were full of junk that we didn't want. So we just said, hey, stick it in that room, and we'll sort it out later. Where's SpongeBob at? Five years later. Not only had we not sorted out the junk that we brought, we had picked up a bunch of other junk along the way, and we had just shoved it in the room. And then people, you know the annoying phone call, hey, I'm in the area, can I stop by? And you look around your house, and you don't want them to know that you're dirty. <laughs> so you're like, give me a second. And then you go, and you take all the dirty stuff, and you, you throw it in the junk room and you close the door, they come by. If you ever see a mysterious door closed at your friend's house, just pretend to walk by it. <laughs> it would get really awkward when we were at the door and said, I got to go to the bathroom. We're like, oh, you can't go to that one. You got to go upstairs. Many of us have junk rooms in our soul. That room in our lives that we have not applied God's wisdom to or his power to. So my kids are godly, but my credit is jacked. As if God's word doesn't give us wisdom to get out of bad financial situations and to live a prosperous life, like the Bible says, that we may have more than enough so that we can be generous on every occasion. Pastor, why do you keep harping on finances? Because it's an area that breaks my heart. So many people are stressed financially, and your money has become your God. Not because you worship money, but because money now makes your decisions for you. When God says, leave that job and move to this city, and you can't listen to God because you're listening to your bank account. God, you said this, but my finances say I can't do that. 
That's the God. And what breaks my heart is the church has said, just tithe and believe and you shall prosper. Tithing is Bible. Somebody say amen. But it's not the whole Bible. He said tithe. He said budget. He said live on less than you make. He said if you're a man and you don't work, you should not eat. We don't preach that one, do we? There is wisdom in God's word for building a victorious life. And watch this. After you apply the wisdom of God's word to your life, it's not just wisdom, but we live by faith, not by sight. So we have to learn, how do I apply my faith to my business? Because it's not just hard work. It's not just living on less than I make. It's not just discipline. But it's also, I decree and declare that the wealth of the, rich, of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. And that God is opening doors that no man can shut. And that my gifts and my talents and abilities are bringing me before great men. And I I need to know how to work my faith and apply the wisdom of God to my life. And so many people, you're practical with no faith or you're faith-filled with no common sense. Jesus told the Pharisees, he said, you're in error because you either don't know the scriptures or you don't know the power of God. The job of the church is to teach you the wisdom. Do you know that God has a way to raise your kids? Yeah. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble, but I've been in trouble all day. Yeah. And punching them in the chest is not it. Wow. Wow. Shaming them in front of their friends is not it. Discipline is, but it's more than just discipline. It's speaking purpose and destiny and calling out the gifts and the talents that God has placed inside of them. And so many of us, we call ourselves Christians, and we are, but we're making it up in every other area of the life. It's the job, church's job to say, here's God's wisdom, and here's how you work your faith in that area. Last thing is this. They all worry that I'm going to end on time. Don't worry, guys. I see the clock. We're going to end on time. Number three, the job of the church is to launch you in a transformational impact. The first house I bought, I told a story about that. I moved out of my dad's house, bought me a little foreclosure. It was a wreck. And just like, man, as soon as I moved in, y'all, I didn't have any furniture. I hadn't even painted the walls. I had nothing but a couple of sofa that I had stolen from my dad's house. You know what I did as soon as I got in there? Threw a party. That's all I wanted to do. It wasn't a ratchet party. It was a, it was a godly party. It was you know, cookout, little barbecue grill in the back. All the single folks from church came. We just started playing matchmaking. And I'm telling you, people got married off that party. My parties were legendary back in the day. If you were single, you wanted to be at my party. You were going to find every. If you were dating or married, you weren't invited to the party. We just, we had purposes with our parties. But here's the thing. The only purpose of building a house is so that people could come in. The only purpose of building a house is for the community that can happen in that house. Like, nobody builds a house and then just leaves it there empty. If it's an investment property, you put somebody in there so you can make a profit off of it. 
And if it's a primary residence, you move in and you bring in everybody that you love. We're not building just to build. We're building to make room for people to find peace and hope and freedom. It would blow my mind. I hated all my friends growing up because they always want to hang out in my house. I'm like, my house stinks and my parents are strict. Let's go to your house. Your parents are ratchet. We could do whatever we want. <laughs> they said, no, Pastor, we want to go to your house. Finally, one of my friends told me, so we want to go to your house because nobody yells and shouts at your house. We're going to your house because your parents love each other. We want to go to your house because there's peace there. Hear me. God doesn't want you to have a great marriage just so you're happy. God doesn't want you to have a phenomenal business just so that you're wealthy. God doesn't want you to be in good health just so that you live long. It is so that you can have a great life and people around you can come and find a place, place to find peace and come to find a place to find joy and come to find a place to find hope. We're not living just for us. We're living that the world around us can find a city of refuge, can find a place where they can escape the pain of the world. So the purpose of the church is to build you a great life so that you can freely give away that which you freely have received. And what blows my mind about Union Church from destiny to I-5 and moving on to this next legacy of our lives, we have always been churches and we will always be churches that don't live for ourselves, but we live for other people to encounter God through Union Athletics, our track program. We're bringing people in through athletics to encounter what? Peace through coaches that know the hope and the freedom and the power of God and to speak purpose and destiny over children through the orphanage in Kenya, we're allowing kids that do not have a place to call family to let them know you have family here in the States that is providing for you and praying for you and loving you by serving on a dream team. We're opening our doors every week and saying, you don't have to be a member of this church to be a part of this family. We're welcome that you're here. Welcome home to this place. By our giving, we're making an investment in each. Do you guys know? That in December, between Destiny Church and I-5 City Church, in the year-end offering, we gave right at $1 million. In one offering, so that the kingdom of God can be advanced. So we're saying, hey, we want to launch a campus in PG County so that people can encounter God. Guess what? It's already paid for because the people of God have said, hey, we're not just living for ourselves, but we're living that others can find hope and freedom in God. That is why this church exists. If I call Union Church my home, what does that mean? It means you're going to be built on a foundation of Jesus Christ. It means that we're going to give you wisdom and faith to build every single area of your life. And we're going to position you to lead other people into the same victory that you've experienced yourself. Let's pray. Father God, we're grateful. We're thankful. God, that we are your field. We are your people. We are your children called by your name. God, you're building every single area of our lives. Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time to make this message personal to you. I want to pray particularly for those of you whose life 
is not built on Jesus. Maybe you're religious. Maybe God is a room in your house. But he's not the foundation of all that you are. Bad news, good news. Bad news is something in life will blow that house down unless it's built on Jesus. Good news is it's never too late to start over. It's never too late to build your life on Jesus. If you say, Pastor, I need to. Some of you, your life was built on church, but it wasn't built on Jesus. That's you. You say, today I want to make God the foundation of my life, the cornerstone of my marriage, my kids, my faith, my hope. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, today I acknowledge you as my cornerstone, the one in whom I'm building my whole life on. Thank you for dying on the cross so that I can be forgiven of all my sin. Today, I surrender. I give you full control of me. Be my Lord and my Savior. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision ever?